we have to understand what failure is and how it happens. When we do something for the first or the second or third time, when something is very new, the likelihood of failure is much bigger than the likelihood of success. So it's not like 50-50, it's way more towards failing than to succeeding. So when we do things for the hundred or the thousand time, we normally don't fail any longer because it's in our nature, whatever that activity is. So being an entrepreneur, we are not contempt with where we are right now. We have crazy goals, crazy dreams. Um, I, I I want to save so much animals in the world. I, I Another person wants to go to Mars. Another person wants to do this and that. And to for us to get there, we will have to do a whole lot of things that we've never done before. We will have to be immensely out of our comfort zone. So the likelihood of us failing a lot on the journey, it's absolutely normal that we will fail a lot. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of the One Money Got Money podcast. I'm your host, Sam Kamani, and my guest today is Miha Matlevetsky. Miha is a serial entrepreneur for the past 23 years and he has grown and scaled nine different companies over seven to nine figures in different industries all around the world, including his latest business where his team has rapidly scaled from zero to eight plus figures in the first year and reaching nine plus figures in the second year. He has personally generated over 3 billion in sales. That's 3 billion US dollars in sales and has been part of multiple joint ventures and partnerships where they have been able to generate over $24 million in funding. So if you are a startup founder, if you also are in an established business or a corporate, then I think you this episode will be extremely beneficial for you. In this episode, we talk about everything from developing systems to, to doing sales right to, um, to mindset and how to fail and learn from your failure. So um, without further ado, let's get into it. I'd like to welcome you to the show. It's such a pleasure to to talk with you after uh, meeting you yesterday on Zoom and finding out a bit about what you do. I would love for our audience to know um, a bit about your experience and what you do at the moment. Hi, Sam. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, we had a conversation yesterday. Now we are recording this. But yeah, hopefully we can make it valuable for your audience. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So Mia, you've got 23 years of experience helping businesses. You have done not millions, but literally billions in sales. And I would love to know some of your secrets when it comes to sales. How do you help businesses sell more or increase their revenue? Yes. I don't think it's a secret. I just stay away from things that feel yucky. I don't like the, those hardcore sales approaches and so yes. on. So we have a really simple two-step structure for a sales call. The first part is just listening, asking a lot of questions, listening, getting to know your client, potential client, struggles, desires, and and really coming from that place do I truly believe that my product or my service 
will help them achieve whatever their goal is. If they have a certain pain and certain desire and they're looking for a solution, can my solution provide that fulfillment? And then when we work with companies, they've been in business for a while. They have plenty of success stories, plenty of case studies, stories, testimonials, and so on. And so all you have to do is pick a story that is as close as possible to the pain and the desire and the position where the client is and and just share that story. But not just go through it briefly, but really painting the picture and really going from start to finish. You're looking to create that alignment that the client feels that you understand them and you work with help people in the same situation. So you do understand. And then you give a brief how to really just the big steps, three to five big steps or something. And and then you close with the other side of the tunnel and you spend a bit more time there. And most of the time, you don't even need step three. Sometimes you do. Most of the time, the clients will ask you, how can send me an invoice or I want to buy this or I want to work with you. But sometimes you just have to add an invitation. So not a sales speech, not a hard selling anything, but just an invitation. If this all makes sense, how about you jumping on board? Really very simple. Yeah, yeah, that's great. But from what I know, you help turn around other startups and other corporate and enterprise level businesses turn around when it comes to sales and revenue generation. Do you have any practical examples of what like few changes you made or one change that you made that helped turn around those and took them from maybe say seven figure to eight figure? Okay. So the first thing that we always, always jump in is what happens before sales. So the client journey before sales. And most often clients are not clear on ideal client avatars Most often they don't have a good way of uh, pre-qualifying. Most often they don't have a good ecosystem to nurture the like and the trust before the sales call even happens. So majority of the work goes into that. And then what we often do with sales teams is we come up with five to 10 questions that every sales representative after every call must ask themselves. So we do a lot of reflection and Often I just say, everybody bring me each 20 no's. But when you get a no, you need to fill this out. And by the time we get to 20, already know so much. We already have so much clarity on objections and and why somebody didn't buy. Were they a good fit? Was the, the form, the sales call delivered in the right way? They also have to record those calls and, and, uh, they listen to them themselves, but then you also have peer listening because you're a sales manager might spot something that you missed or your colleague might spot something that you missed. So we do a little bit of that. And every time we double or triple the closing rate in a very non-salesy way. That's yeah, that's amazing. That's really good to hear. For some of the audience who doesn't know, I have got so much value 
from just having short conversations with me about the startup that we are building. I would um, love to know on behalf of the other tech startup founders who tune into this podcast, what is few quick wins that most startups can do or what are some of the mistakes that startups make that they should look into? Ooh, now that can be uh, um, <laughs> a few days. Uh, <laughs> what a podcast! <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I often see is the ego of the founders. That and that's not always a good thing. One thing is to be confident. A whole other thing is to let ego get in the way of being yes. humble and the growth. Very often, startups focus on the product or the service, but yeah. they don't think about marketing and sales, or they make partnerships that and they jump into the marriage after a one night stand. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, he is uh, what you would call a serial entrepreneur but not, not the smartest one. And I still can't get him to listen to me. Uh, I think by now he's already shareholder in probably 50, if not more startups. And yeah. he's coming like a tech backup or a tech. The, the, so he has a, a IT company and certain yes. portion of those resources he uses to, to help startups and get a certain share out of it. But he yes. never does any due diligence on how competent his startup partners are. So he has 50 plus startups and none of them is making any significant revenue because nobody knows how to actually market and sell. They did their part. He invested the whole IT part and now he's just there holding, waiting, but he just won't listen. I've talked with him a few times already. So I guess he needs a few more failures before he will start <laughs> listening. But yeah, very often in startups, they don't look at things holistically um, yes. or they don't look at backend stuff like finances, legal, HR, all of those yeah. things need to come together. You need a good system. You need to develop a system. If you want your company to be scalable, yes. then the first rule of scalability is that it must not depend on any particular person, the founders or the yes. employees. It needs to be a system that drives the growth because you, you can clone a system. You can duplicate a system or processes you can't yes. clone or duplicate people. And often startup founders, they then take on all the cash flow generating roles. They do a little bit of marketing. They do a little bit of sales, a little bit of delivery. They don't trust anybody to do better job than they can and, and so yeah. on and on. Again, yeah, we, we can talk for hours on this topic alone. <laughs> uh, or they, they are not mindful about cash flow and then they run out of cash flow or they suck at planning, they don't have any project management. Oh, one, one big thing is often when you have multiple shareholders, there is no clarity on who does what by when. And they all yes. want to do this new age nights of round table. We are all equal and so on, but that just doesn't work most of the time. It does when you have really high level people who are all mm -hmm. holding themselves accountable to the highest standards. And that's yes. one thing. But most often, you don't find people like that very uh, often. So uh, you have to deal with all sorts of people. And for majority, that equality and self-accountability and so on just isn't a thing. And so you need 
clear structure. You need clear processes. You need to be very strict on who does what by when. You need some good project management skills. Or And yeah, I, again, I could just go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have a lot of knowledge when it comes to a lot of things like this. Who do you, where do you acquire your knowledge from? Is there, is there, are, or is there, or are there mentors that are, and advisors that you follow or any resources that you recommend? Oh, it's a combination of multiple things. So a big source of the knowledge is my past failures. I did learn a whole lot of lessons from that. But then I, I do everything from regularly reading books, listening to podcasts, coaches, mentors, masterminds. I, I invest, I, I would say roughly about 50 to 100K a year in my own development in, in all the different ways. Plus, we invest a lot into, in, into my partners and, and, and my coworkers as well. We really, I think one of the key mindsets for anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur or is an entrepreneur is that con- consistent, constant growth mindset. You yes. have to keep growing. You have to keep learning, stay humble, and really just get a lot of knowledge and pair that with experience. So knowledge alone will not do much and just taking action will do better, but not everything. So it's the combination of you learn a little, you apply a little, you learn a little, you apply a little. And then of course, I've worked with so many entrepreneurs. I think the number is over 4,000 entrepreneurs already. And so I have a huge database of things that I've seen at their company. So that's uh, another big uh, chunk of knowledge uh, base that we can use. So every new client, we can already see how certain things are similar to some of the clients we had before. And we already have that big data deck knowledge that we can try and apply and test and validate with new clients. Yep. I love your always learning, always improving and the growth mindset. I completely believe in that. And not only in business, but even in the technology sector, there's always new software and programming languages and new methodologies and new things to learn always. And if you want to be at the top of your game, you have to keep learning. You have to keep improving. I have one question for you regarding this sort of this ongoing learning and ongoing growth. What is one interesting thing that you have learned this year? in 2021 quite a few i constantly work on the soft skills side yes so emotional intelligence communication conflict resolution and and things like that mindfulness so that's something i continuously uh, uh, am attacking that topic because it's really very important but also this year i've done a lot of improvements in myself when it comes to different ways of creating systems six sigma and lean and agile and scrum yes. so we were already using a lot of that and combination we we don't use a particular system as a whole but more we try a few different ones and then we create a little bit our own system out of it but yeah i was really investing a lot of my time into upgrading my knowledge in into more hardcore stuff because most people uh, know me 
for the soft skills, for the, the soft stuff. And yes, I do talk a lot about it and I am very passionate about it. And it is much harder to acquire than the hard stuff. And, and that's why I find it so much more important to consistently work on it because you have to practice a whole lot with the hard skills. You find a few books, you go through them and you can do something simple, at least with soft yes. skills. It's, it's a much longer journey, but yeah, I, I've been investing more of my time, more of my energy into some of the uh, harder skills as well, even though I have an amazing team that supports me in that, but I just felt that. And also lately we got some clients like Coach New York, the fashion brand who are corporate yes. clients. And for, for those, I felt I need to upgrade myself a little bit to be able to serve them at the right level. Yep. Yep. It is such a hard topic to tackle like soft skills and I completely am on board with what you said that hard skills there is a manual there is very hard to find a manual for <laughs> soft skills or just say one manual for soft skill <laughs> it's not yeah. it's very it's a very process broad. it is a process yeah. is there any practical tip you can share with us about around soft skills that you learn that really upped your game kind of thing or that you implement now whether it could be dealing with people or could be in any soft skill topic. One simple thing is we have so much tools in this day and age that can support us in, in that yes. journey. So we they won't do the journey for us, but can support us. So let's say mindfulness. And it, it, when I talk about mindfulness, being present throughout the day so that when yes. shit happens and, and in, in your business, things are consistently happening, you don't have autopilot reactions. But you, mm -hmm. when something happens, you take a few deep breaths and you have a way to step back and say, okay, what do I need right now? Okay, I need to go for a walk. I need to walk this out because it's a very emotional thing and I need to think clearly. So that's when I'm talking yes. about mindfulness is more grounding yourself, being mindful, being present. And one nice thing that you can, everybody can do, and this is what I do with my clients, we take the phone that we all have, we go into reminders app and we just create a reminders for every 30 minutes saying, be mindful. First day, nothing really happens, but then those reminders keep uh, giving you notifications yes. every half an hour. And after a few days, you are more and more mindful after a few weeks. And usually by between two and four weeks, people can go throughout the day 80, 90% mindful, which is an amazing achievement. And then once you are mindful, it's so much easier to control emotions, to, to balance yourself, to combine logic and emotions, uh, to sit down, make a plan, strategize, and so on. Yes. Uh, another thing that I absolutely love as well is fire ground and firehouse, because the growth and the magic happens in the firehouse. You want to be as little as possible on the fire ground. So being, again, mindful that you spend enough time in the firehouse. Yes, when you're just starting out, of course, you need to combine both. But then as your company is growing, you as the leader, you should spend more time in the firehouse. And by the time you have 15, 20 employees, 
80 plus percent of your time, if you're the CEO, needs to be in the firehouse. Otherwise, you're just not giving the value to the company that, yeah. that you should be giving. If you're dealing with little things and running around like a crazy chicken, that's not giving company the value that it deserves. So yeah. those would be like two little things that come straight from my head right now. Yeah, yeah, that's super good advice, super practical advice. And hence the name of your or one of your websites uh, as well from the, the firehouse. The mastermind operation firehouse, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'd like to bring back into our conversation is that when you we were talking about this yesterday and I and you one of the thing you mentioned was that you help people in fact fail more. <laughs> Can you elaborate on that? We have to understand what failure is and how it happens. When we do something for the first or the second or third time, when something is very new, the likelihood of failure is much bigger than the likelihood of success. So yes. it's not like 50-50. It, it's way more towards failing than yes. to succeeding. So when we do things for the hundred or the thousand time, we normally don't fail any longer because yeah. it's in our nature, whatever that activity yes. is. So being an entrepreneur, we are not contempt with where we are right now. We have crazy goals, crazy dreams. I, I, I want to save so much animals in the world. I, I, another person wants to go to Mars. Another person wants to do this and that. And to, for us to get there, we will have to do a whole lot of things that we've never done before. We will have to be immensely out of our comfort zone. So the likelihood of us failing a lot on that journey it's absolutely normal that we will fail a lot. Now, when failure happens, that's an emotional reaction. The bigger yes. the positive emotion, if we would succeed, the bigger the negative emotional reaction when we fail. And some reactions are very big. And when they're very big, they can lead to depression, to anxiety, to a whole other things. And they can stop us from moving forward. And they we actually help us to make a few steps back instead of a few steps forward. Now, when we have, when we develop a healthy relationship with failure and we know how to deal with it, then we can bounce back very quickly. So we can test more, we can try more, we can make bolder steps, but our reactions and the way we deal with failure are in the right way. So we actually progress much faster. So for me to help people not fail would be the opposite of what they actually have to do to achieve the success and the goals that they want to achieve. Does that make any sense? It does make so much sense. And the other thing that you said made so much sense is that when I have worked for someone, um, there are no nearly no lows and there are no that many that highs. But when you are an entrepreneur, which I have been for the last 15 years of my life, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. <laughs> yes. And you are much more emotionally invested. Look at our businesses as our children and, yes. and so on. So we are emotionally very highly invested. And uh, failure, the way the world understands failure from a negative 
position. It, it's nothing else but really just a roller coaster of emotions happening inside us. And when those emotions uh, go towards the negative side, then it leads to failings and feelings of failure. And, and then you start feeling like a complete failure altogether. Yes. None of that will help you. None of that will support you. And so learning how to develop and establish healthy relationship with failure is really the key to success. Yep. How should, just like you, I speak with a lot of entrepreneurs online and offline as well, when things are a bit more open around the world. And it's inevitable that if you are an entrepreneur, you will go through lots of challenges and you will go through lots of failures because that's just life. And when someone is going through that sort of a dark period and wants to just give up everything and, and all that, what should I be saying to them or what should anyone um, be saying to them? Be, like I said, all of that is emotions. And the way we can fight those emotions is with logic. So you can be the logical person and you can just really ask a whole lot of questions and take them through the process, the journey that led to the failure. Failure doesn't just happen. It's not, oh, we are not doing anything right now and bam, something fails. No, failure is we, we set a goal, a desire, yes. and then we start working towards that desire. And, and, and those steps that we are taking is a process. Now, processes, they often have bottlenecks. Sometimes we do wrong processes. The, the one thing that I always like to say, let's say I want to lose some weight, which wouldn't be a bad thing, but and, and then I go to McDonald's every day, just setting a goal and focusing yeah. on that goal, but then not doing the steps exercise and eating healthier will not get me to that goal. But so what you can do is help them see the process, yes. walk them back through the process, how the whole thing started, where the idea came uh, from, yeah. what did they do? Sometimes somebody may be searching for clients on LinkedIn when they should really be on Pinterest because they're yeah. dealing with, you know, ladies or something who aren't yes. maybe so much on LinkedIn, a certain demographic yeah. might not yes. be so much on LinkedIn. Sometimes we choose the right, the wrong message. Yes. Sometimes there's just so many things that happen to go wrong. The longer the process is, and if you can just walk them through that process and just challenge a little bit of those things, I don't know, Sam was, do you now looking back, do you really see that you spending so much time on LinkedIn because you are telling me that your demographic is more on TikTok or more yes. on Instagram. Why didn't you spend more time there? And, and then if you do this process well enough, most often they will have the aha moments and they will just realize that they're not the failure. Yes, it happened, but it was because of the wrong steps. And most often what happens is, oh, okay. So if I change the process, I can achieve the outcome. And that gives them new motivation, new power to start at it again, just in a smarter way. Yeah. Yeah. Look, that's fantastic. That's such usable advice for anyone. Now, the, this is before I finish, I have these sort of three quick questions that I ask everyone. And one of that is, is there a book that you are reading right now? Yes, 
Yes, there is. I just don't. It's strategic storytelling, something like that, but Dave, by Dave McKinsey. It's really yeah. good thing how to put a whole lot of structure on internal. So not when you're making a keynote presentation on, on a stage in front of thousands of people, but this is more yes. boardroom where you are dealing with bigger projects and you have to go to the client and, and so on. And you need to have a presentation. So this is a really good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dave McKenzie. One. Yes. I found yeah. it online. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah another one. Another, yes. an, another one that I'm reading again and and this is probably now for the fourth fifth time already is emotional intelligence 2.0 yeah i've heard of that yeah. so much yes and another one that i'm reading now for the first time is uh marketing 5.0 from what's his name kotler uh, yeah the kotler yes yes i i yeah. i used to have his uh, books in university ages ago i think i uh, just have all of them on the Kindle device and I go yes. through them there. Yeah, yeah. Philip Kotler, I think. Yeah, Philip, yes. Yeah, this uh, one is really good because it's talking about how we as a society are, when it comes to business, we are moving more towards relationship economy, relationship building. So those old techniques of hard selling and pushing and will yes. eventually fade out because we are moving towards more relationship-based economy. So I, I really uh, like that book. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely true. And it's the same thing in startups as well. There is a lot more uh, push towards building a community that it's said that now even don't build a product first, build a community. You can sell them something later on. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I can see that. Now, the next question is that if you had to start all over again, but I mean, think of as you're fresh out of university type thing and, but you have all the knowledge that you have now, what would be the first thing you would do? I, I think you just answered that a minute ago. I would go out and start networking and just figuring yes. out what are some of the problems, what are some of the desires that people have and I would be brainstorming how I can help them bridge those pain points over and bring them to the desires. And it's literally what I've been doing all my life with all my companies <laughs> yes. and everything. I, I always start my, my like I most business developments, most product developments happen from somebody coming up with a product. But I'm a big believer in starting with the end client in mind, because that's the person that's going to give you the credit card anyway. So you should be building something that they actually want to buy. And so all my companies, I had companies in very different niches from manufacturing to retail to IT services and so on. We always started everything from a group of people that had something in common. And I felt, oh, okay, this is something where we can actually create either a product or a service or, uh, or something that will help them with pain and the desire. Yep. No, that makes so much sense. And finally, do you have an ask? Are you looking for team members, customers, clients, investors, anything? Well, as I mentioned to you yesterday, we are growing now quite fast because of all the foundations we laid into the scaling. So we are very open to finding people who are well-networked in entrepreneurial community. 
we ha- we have a few partners already in US and Canada. We have a few of them in Europe, yes. but we are a little bit lacking on the Australia, Southeast Asia side. Yes. If anybody has a nice, good network, yeah, yes. I would be very happy to hear from them. And we might have a very good thing that can easily be into five figures for anybody who would want to to participate. Yeah. Yeah, no, makes, yeah, it makes so much sense what you do and how you help businesses and how you even help me and the startup we are building. Look, I cannot recommend you highly enough. So yeah, look, it's been fantastic speaking with you. What I'll do is I'll put all your social links, all your websites, everything in the show notes so people can reach out to you and connect with you. And in the in the next little while, I'll also connect you with some of my connections just through the podcasting and the in the entrepreneurial community. So look forward to uh, a long collaboration with you in some form or another. Yes, yes, likewise. And thank you, Sam, for inviting me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to a, an audience that probably doesn't know me yet. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.